Politics Uncensored with Ali Milani on FUBAR Radio. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Politics Uncensored. I'm your host Ali Milani. We are on FUBAR Radio. I am wearing a Santa's hat. We are almost at Christmas. Uh, and what better Christmas topics than to talk about than politics? I think everybody enjoys over some goose or some turkey, speaking to their problematic cousins or uncles or aunts about uh, politics. And this is a safe space for you all to do that. Uh, and so um, as we go into the Christmas break, we're going to talk about some of the top issues uh, facing our country, the world and politics at large. We've got a brilliant uh, array of guests uh, with us today. Um, we've got long COVID uh, society campaigner Una Cousins, uh, who's going to be joining us. We've had um, the COVID inquiry, which many of you have seen, Boris Johnson has um, has spoken um, at the COVID inquiry uh, with loads of protests and many headlines coming out of that. So we're going to speak to our cousins about that. Comedian Matt Richardson joins us later. He's the host of I Am Prime Minister, the I Am Prime Minister podcast, and he's going to be joining us uh, in a little bit as well to discuss um, some of you know his show. Uh, the sort of crossover between entertainment and politics as well, because uh, I think it's undoubted that over the last five to ten years, uh, the British politics has certainly taken uh, a sort of Americanization step where entertainment and politics has, missed, um, has mixed, and nothing is more evident of that than Nigel Farage on I Am A Celebrity, Get Me Out Of Here. If, um, if there's a way that we could keep him in the jungle or away from this country that would be wonderful as well but um these are all ideas that i'm brainstorming as we speak but before we get to unag before we get to matt um we are rejoined uh, by a previous guest on the week unwrapped and that's zara khan chair of the british youth council zara thank you so much for joining us can you hear us okay i see you yes i can hear you can you hear me okay how are you doing ahead of christmas what are the big christmas plans I'm good, thank you. I mean, I don't celebrate Christmas, unfortunately, but it is my birthday in a few weeks as well, so I'm looking forward to that. Even better. So Rifled age of 26. Even better. Well, you're still, you're still, you're still in the British Youth Council, still young. I am. Uh, yes. So hopefully, many more birthdays to look forward to. We're going to go straight into um, the key headlines out of uh, politics over the last week, and the first is around Robert Jenrick, who's resigned as immigration minister, saying the government's emergency Rwanda legislation does not go far enough. The government's new bill orders the courts to ignore key sections of the Human Rights Act in an attempt to sidestep the Supreme Court's existing judgment. Um, obviously, the Supreme Court ju ju ruled against the government um, on its Rwanda plan. Uh, it also orders the courts to ignore other British laws or international rules, such as the International Refugee Convention, that stand in the way of deportations to Rwanda. However, some Tory MPs believe it does not go far enough, as it wants as wants it to override all international law, including the ECH. Are. Uh, this seems to be a, a sort of tug of war between the far right of the Conservative Party um, and Rishi Sunak. Uh, Zara, what do you make of this? So the British Youth Council um, remains concerned about the government's continued attempts to deport people to Rwanda. We're very much against um, this policy. Um, we've got international representatives who are the UK ambassadors who have called on the government to end uh, the brutal practice immediately um, and you know this intervention follows a series of statements from across the political spectrum and an open letter from more than 100 organizations so we've been talking about this for a while really um, we do have a duty uh, as a country um, to make sure that we are supporting any refugees and asylum seekers that come here um, and it just seems like we're kind of moving the the so-called problem to somebody else um, instead of actually dealing with the with the people that we need to support when they're coming into this country and I said it before on your show as well Ali when I came on last time that you know, we do have we do have that duty and people don't take it lightly to completely uproot their lives to move to a different country where they potentially don't know the language. They don't know anybody that lives there. They don't know what the systems and the processes are. Um, and to be able to to do that, I don't think people take that situation lightly. Um, and for us to kind of then move that, uh, you know, move people to different countries because we don't want to manage that situation. Um, yeah, we don't we don't agree with that at all. But this seems to be more of a political sort of jostling than it does actual policy because, I mean, obviously the law itself is hugely problematic and um, would likely see much opposition, um, not just from other parties, from the from constituents, but also probably from the Conservative Party itself. Um, that People are not sure that there is a majority in Parliament um, for this emergency legislation, but it seems to be... It seems to be Essentially, the far right of the Conservative Party, uh, led by Suella Braverman, this is a challenge to Rishi Sunak's premiership. 
is it not? I think what we need to look at is is making sure that we are looking after those people that are coming here. I mean, the United Nations Association has stated that the illegal migration bill and, you know, the kind of Rwanda policies and that sort of thing, you know, do go against our long-standing commitment to the UN Refugee Conven Convention. Um, and I think we really need to move towards actually taking a human approach as well as taking a reasonable approach in terms of how we manage migration into the mm -hmm. country. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure you can deny the opportunities that a lot of our politicians have benefited from in terms of, you know, their parents or grandparents coming to this country as well. So I think that's really important too. Yeah, so the the question I think is, is there a concern, are you concerned, around this sort of rise of the far right um, in in the, one of the mainstream political parties in the UK um, and these really, you know, quite divisive, extreme ideals around immigration um, that's being sort of funneled through this Rwanda policy? I think everyone in this country has the right to feel safe and protected and, and not to be discriminated against and feel like they're living in an inclusive society. And any policies that we bring forward uh, in, in Parliament, in government, should reflect that uh, as well you know we should treat other people in the way that we would like to be treated um and you know these kinds of policies do not support the fact that we are you know uh, open to migration we rely quite heavily in some industries particularly with the nhs on migrant workers and then to say actually we're not going to uh, let people in for x y and z reason um unless they meet a certain threshold doesn't really kind of marry up with that situation that we've got within the nhs as well mm. so i think really we just need to treat people with respect um and you know a lot of people don't decide to become refugees and asylum seekers. It's not something that, you know, um, that, that they're able to kind of have a, um, a think about, really. But even people that come over in terms of migrating to this country, you know, I think we need to move towards that space of seeing people as human beings um, instead of just numbers. And of course, Conservative Party is not the only party that has uh, had a level of division uh, and backlash uh, within the party. So Keir Starmer has sparked backlash among members of his own party after he praised uh, Margaret Thatcher for effecting meaningful change in the UK. The Labour leader launched a bid to woo Conservative voters as he urged them to take a look at his party once again ahead of the next general election. In an article for the Sunday Telegraph, Sakir said that he was extending a hand of friendship to all Britons, irrespective of whom they've supported in the past at the ballot box. But the comments have attracted most attention where the Labour leader's praise of the late Baroness Thatcher, whom he said had effected meaningful change in the UK as he she sought to drag Britain out of its stupor by setting loose our natural entrepreneur entrepreneurialism. Got that word out. Um, during her 11 years in Downing Street, the remarks have angered some MPs of, on the left of his party, with one telling Sky News they believed it meant Sakir intends to govern without any real political project of his own. This has sparked major backlash. I mean, supporters of Sakir Starmer have said he didn't he didn't praise uh, Thatcher. I mean, obviously, the words are written in black and white ink. He said that she'd affected meaningful change, that she'd sought to drag Britain out of its stupor by setting loose unnatural entrepreneurialism. Uh, and that has caused huge backlash from within the party and within Labour supporters. Um, Zara, I wonder what you make of Sakir Starmer's attempts to kind of reach across uh, to Conservative voters and his comments around Margaret Thatcher. So I don't think it's for me to kind of veer into party politics here. However, I think you can say that Margaret Thatcher was a divisive figure and there will be a lot of people that do agree with that with that comment. Um, but I think whichever, you know, we've got a general election potentially coming up next year, whichever government, whichever party is in power at that point in time, you know, for young people, um, it needs to be, um, you know, youth focus. It needs, we need to make sure that young people are at the forefront of the, some of the issues that are coming through, um, as I've mentioned on your on your show before uh, as well. So I think um, Sakir Starmer probably needs to, you know, but is, is, is that so one of the key things. I guess one of the criticisms that he's receiving is is what this um MP has told Sky News, which are they 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 are worried that he intends to govern without any real political project of his own. Is there a concern from you that you know we don't you don't know that what he stands for, and given that he's bounced across the spectrum in politics, you're not really sure what you're going to get with a Keir Starmer premiership. So I think my concern is really making sure that young people are at the forefront of whatever Sir Keir Starmer decides for the Labour Party in terms of their policies. What would that look like? It needs to be youth focused. They need to have a commitment, whichever government is in power, whichever party is in power, to make sure that they are listening to young people mm -hmm. and they're listening to young people in terms of uh, whether it's on climate change, whether it's on. Um, so what uh, would you want to see? What would you want to see in that health? manifesto? If if Keir Starmer was listening 
and you've spoken about being youth focused what would that look like in terms of real policy what kind of things would you like to see him champion so uh, we'd love to see him kind of champion and make sure that you know young people are living uh, above the kind of threshold of uh, the deprivation line within the uk there's a lot of young people in the country that do not you know live on a, a kind of uh, good basis in terms of their standard of living um, a lot of young people that are very concerned about the climate uh, crisis and making sure that's at the forefront of any work that the party does or the government does uh, and making sure that young people are um, in the in the conversations on the youth focused issues around mental health as well. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of articles obviously around uh, COVID and that sort of thing. You know, that was quite a difficult time for young people as well. We're seeing the COVID inquiry happening at the minute and making sure that, you know, if something like that happens again that we're not seeing the same level of disruption to education um mm -hmm. and that level of attainment as well for young people at that um yeah at that stage so of education. speaking of covid we'll go into that uh what i think is going to be the final story and so some of the themes of what we're going to talk about today not entirely uh it's day two of boris johnson giving evidence uh, at the covid inquiry he's been met with protests um and dissatisfaction uh from con members of the public uh he has amongst other things apologized uh for the pain the loss and the suffering uh, though was interrupted by protesters during his speech. Uh, around 5,000 WhatsApp messages on Johnson's phone from the 30th of Jan to June 2020 are missing. Johnson's solicitors say it could be due to a factory reset, though Johnson denies this. These these are the new Clinton emails, the 5,000 WhatsApp messages that have gone missing. Um, the former PM uh, defended his decision not to sack, sack Matt Hancock, who was the health secretary at the time, but also admitted the COVID decision-making was too male-dominated he also admitted his vastly underestimated the he vastly underestimated the risk in the early stages of the pandemic, but insisted he was working during the Feb half term school break of 2020, not on holiday. Um, so uh, as we look back at COVID, you know, I think Matt Hancock had said basically that the initial lockdown was a few weeks too late. And if it had been a few weeks earlier, we could have saved thousands of lives. Uh, Boris Johnson, primarily, I think the main headline has apologized for the pain, the loss and the suffering um that was caused zara first off is the apology accepted it depends on who you ask ali i'm um, asking you there's probably a lot of people um that were in that room uh yesterday and today um and people that have lost a lot of loved ones due to covid that perhaps think that you know it's probably too little too late at this point um you know however the, the point of the inquiry into my understanding is to make sure that we are having the level of accountability and transparency that we expect from our leaders um, and the inquiry is there to hold them to account. And all of this that is coming out at the moment, you know, is, is really important because it's important for the public to be aware of, of what's been happening. Mm -hmm. um, but look, you as an, let's talk to you as an individual, Zaro, as an individual voter who lived through COVID as a young person, is what Boris has said enough for you, um, given everything that happened and all the people that have lost their lives? I think obviously what happened during COVID was unprecedented. It's not something that we've seen before. Um, so ministers banded together to try and work through that. However, it seems that there were a few things that could have been done a lot earlier. And it seems that there could have been more compassion in the room uh, when these conversations were happening. Um, so I think that, you know, it's not something that people will forgive easily. Um, and I think it's important um, that there is honesty and transparency through this process to make sure that you are kind of winning the public back. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think at the moment, people are sort of uh, a bit apathetic towards, um, you know, uh, this kind of leadership because it's it's not honest and it's not transparent and people want their leaders to have those qualities. Yeah, but I guess what I'm trying to get is from you personally, because look, we're day two of this COVID inquiry. Um, you're clearly someone who's plugged into the politics um, and young people as well. So I want to just get your personal view on, you know, given the failings that have been admitted by the health secretary and even the PM himself you know is is an apology enough i think it's a start i'm not sure it's enough um but then i, I would, i'm not sure what i would say in terms of what else would be enough because it seems like it is you know we're almost four years um since we you know since the first lockdown and it's kind of how do you how do you face the people who have lost loved ones during that time because they couldn't see them and they couldn't be with them and because of covid how do you mm. kind of face uh, those people and, and admit to what you did um so yeah i think it will be quite difficult um i was quite lucky on a personal level i didn't lose anybody close to me you know during covid we were quite strict 
um, with the with the rules of you know I we sort of said to my grandparents please don't leave the house because it's it's really dangerous, and um, so we took that um, you know quite seriously. Um, so I think I think the honesty is important at this point in time. Uh, I think mm -hmm. people need to put their hands up and say that you know they've made mistakes in the past and apologize for it and say that they're not going to do these things again. And I think that's the important bit is because you can apologize, but actually, if you then make the same mistake again, then the apology is sort of null and void. I think. Okay, we're going to stick on this topic. Uh, we're going to speak uh, further on in the show uh, about the COVID inquiry, Boris Johnson having given evidence uh, and a little bit about long COVID as well. That was Zara Khan, chair of the British Youth Council. Thank you, Zara, for joining us um, to talk about this week unwrapped and the the main headlines of politics and in politics uh, during the last week. We're going to move on to our next guest after these messages. FUBAR Radio presents... All areas. And we are joined now by our lovely guest, James Johnson, celebrity hairdresser. How are you, James? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. What was Mel B like then? I oh, used the to best. be a spice boy. The best energy. Did you sing to her? I no, to... I can't sing. I'm nor can I, but I still but I remember don't. the job got cancelled. I went to wherever she was staying in London, it got cancelled. And whoever she was living with made us a Victoria sponge cake. So the job got cancelled, we all sat around the table eating cake. I got in the car <laughs> and, and I was like, I've just sat with a sparse girl eating Victoria sponge. Oh, noshing a bit of Vicky Sponge. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club. We are joined in the studio now by professional comedian Brett Goldstein. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Brett? Uh, I'm very grateful to be here with you two. If you could dig someone up and fuck them. Gene Kelly. <laughs> Gene Kelly and Cary Grant, right? Not Cary, there's not much time. <laughs> if I could dig up Gene Kelly, I'd say, could we do it, Dose? I've got the shovel in my boot. <laughs> In this scenario, is he still dead when you dig him up, or does he come out? Does he come to life? Is he a rotten corpse, or is he... That's my <laughs> Dating or going on dates when you were, like, a teenager was always quite fun, though. Do you know what I mean? I remember going on dates to, like, the cinema, or you'd go shopping, like, shopping centres, wouldn't you? I think, if anything, they were... Maybe maybe this just says about life and where it is, but I used to get really excited, like, more excited than I do now. Like, the thought of going to meet someone in a park, a boy, it was like, oh, my fucking God, what trainers am I going to wear? Are my trainers clean? Am I going to plait my hair? It was like... It, the thought that would go through my head just to meet one person, whereas now... You know, you might meet someone on the way home from work and it's like the, the effort, you're still making an effort, but it's like, yeah, I can fit you in. It is it's completely different. You're listening to Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Radio. Welcome back. This is Ali Maloney on Foobar Radio at Politics Uncensored. Uh, we, are, we have been talking um, not just about this week's news, but particularly... Uh, Boris Johnson, this guy follows me around everywhere I go. I would love to one day live in a world where I don't have to talk about him. But we've got another week where we've got to talk about Boris Johnson. Uh, particularly this week is particularly important as we are in day two uh, of Boris Johnson giving evidence at the COVID inquiry. Um, and some of the key points, like I mentioned with our previous guest, is that he has apologized for the pain and the pain, the loss and the suffering uh, though he was interrupted by protesters during that speech, around 5,000 WhatsApp messages from Johnson's phone have magically disappeared from the 30th of Jan to June um, 2020. They're all missing. His solicitors say that it could be due to a factory reset. Johnson denies this. No one knows where they are. Uh, the former prime minister defended his decision not to sack Matt Hancock as health secretary, uh, but he has admitted that the COVID decision was too male-dominated. He has also admitted his vastly underestimated the, he vastly underestimated the risk uh, at the early stages of the pandemic, but insisted that they were working hard during the February half time. Another thing that he has said that has caused huge amounts of backlash is that while he apologized for um, the pain, the loss and the suffering, when he was asked about long COVID, he used the terms bollocks. And like the Gulf War syndrome, he later apologized for these remarks uh, around long COVID um, and said he was trying to get the, to the truth of the matter and says he regrets very much using that language and should have thought about the possibility of future publications. Joining us now is Una Cousins, ambassador for Long COVID Society and a former GP rower. She was at the COVID inquiry. Una, thank you so much for joining us. Um, look, there's so much to unpack here around what Boris has said. You are um, 
a campaigner on the issue of long COVID with the Long COVID Society, a former GB rower, someone who has um, been personally affected by COVID. Can I first ask his apology for the pain, the loss and the suffering? Is that accepted? Um, I mean, it's not really an apology because he he apologized um, for saying he should have and he he qualified his apology with I should have thought about the publication and, and how that that using that language um, like how that would be publicized in the future and that's not what we want the apology for we want him to apologize for um comparing the illness to an illness that he thought was people making up like mm. people were it was in their heads so it's not it's not accepted because so, it's not a real apology so this is him calling long covid bollocks right and like the gulf yeah. war syndrome can you tell us a little bit yeah. about long covid i mean i think most people know about it but um it hasn't uh, really dominated the airspace in the way that COVID itself was. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what long COVID is and how it affects people? Yeah, so it's a it's the like the definition is experiencing symptoms beyond twelve weeks of your infection, and um, as it stands, there's no cure, so people are facing it chronically with like no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it does cover a broad range of syndromes. And so like part of the issue is that like there is no clear definition of these symptoms are long COVID because it covers just a massive range and people are experiencing a lot of things. But the extreme end of it is that people are chronically bent bound, um, you know, organ damage, um, vascular problems, autoimmune diseases, neuroinflammation, like the list of symptoms goes on. Um, my personal experience of it was I caught COVID March 2020. I'd just been um, pre-slept for the Olympics in rowing and um, I spent months, like my, my daily life re revolved around just getting through the like the basic daily tasks. The fatigue I was experiencing was debilitating. Um, I was one of the lucky ones who was like ex uh, received support from my workplace to take a prolonged length of time out of work. I took a year and a half out of sport and eventually got to the point where I felt like I could return. But like that year and a half, I think, speaks to just how long these illnesses go on for. Um, this illness goes on for, sorry. And, and I did, spent a year trying to build my fitness up, getting faster again, where I was at the point where I could rejoin the GB team. And then I actually relapsed at the end of last year. So I've had to retire from professional rowing. So that long COVID really essentially ended your professional career in rowing and cost you put a potential space in the Olympics. Yeah, that's pretty much the end of it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, I guess what I want to get to is, look, the prime minister has then gone on something that has had such a debilitating effect on your life and your career to call it bollocks and like Gulf War syndrome. How does that feel? I mean, it's extremely offensive, but I, I, the, the main issue I have with it is just, you know, the sheer incompetence of it. Like you've got the leader of the country. He's being presented with evidence that the virus that's going through the country is um, causing this. It's the, this chronic disease and his first instinct is to say people are making it up um and so what that means is you know it has all of these knock-on effects is that you know fundamentally the government wasn't taking it seriously so there was no public messaging about it you know the interventions that he was putting in place lockdown and and, and in the medical system they the long COVID is not being taken into account you know, as like you were saying, like, you know, we've heard lots about COVID, but how many people actually know long COVID actually know that when know about long COVID and actually know when they get COVID, they're playing with this risk of chronic illness. Like I just, I think the public are very, very in the dark about it. And I think fundamentally that starts with the prime minister and him ignoring the possibility that actually the, this, this virus was causing this long-term disability. Mm. And so you've been at the inquiry, what's the atmosphere like amongst people who are there, campaigners, protesters? Um, it's pretty intense. Um, I have found it pretty emotionally exhausting, if I'm honest, because, you know, they're talking that they want answers, but ultimately Boris Johnson's not giving them and he's squirming out of all accountability as much as he can. And, um, you know, the, the, the things that come to mind are the, the, the quotes about let the bodies pile high and um, they've had a good innings and... Um, it's just we're sitting i'm sitting next to people whose husband died in the pandemic and that's that's what's coming like that, that that's the evidence that's being presented so mm -hmm. 
yeah, it's very difficult. And he he does try to apologize, but his it's like it's very meaningless because in the same sentence he'll apologize, but then he'll go on to squirm out of any accountability for the things he could have done differently to avoid these deaths and to avoid long COVID as well, obviously. Yeah, and so I mean, you know, it's it's incredibly frustrating. I think, given this was really a test of character for the government in in what was the worst health pandemic for a generation and mm. we got people like boris johnson and matt hancock probably at the worst time um have you spoken i mean first of all you yourself but also other campaigners what would they like to see happen out of this inquiry so what would what would be a good result of this inquiry should we round them yeah. up and put them all in prison or something like <laughs> I mean, I'm not. Well, I don't think we should. Uh, well, I don't think we should take anything off the table. But what do we want to see happen? That unfortunately is not an option. But I think, like realistically, what we need is from the inquiry, we need the record to show where the incompetence was and where the kind of politically convenient option was chosen over the option of like what could have been done better to avoid. The, the number of deaths and to avoid the amount of long COVID. Mm -hmm. We were always going to get deaths, tragic, and we were always going to get people with long COVID, but it could have been so much less. And he, I agree, it, it, this, we had this, you know, national crisis and at, at the head of the country, we had an incompetent government. Like that's what massively comes across, just the sheer incompetence and mm -hmm. a government and a prime minister who picked the politically convenient option. Yeah, and I think th I think that's the key part. Like, yeah, the, the f I agree. One of the failure, one of the successes would be to put in black and white that the government failed us at a critical moment. Yeah, incompetence. I think it's absolutely the right word. Um, that there, there was absolutely a level of incompetence, but incompetence also sometimes can be construed as they wanted to do the right thing, they just didn't have the skills to do it. The problem I have with that is Matt Hancock himself admitted in the inquiry that if they had locked down a few weeks earlier, we could have saved thousands of lives. They were being told to lock down. They chose not to. Um, and that's that politically convenient element that you spoke about. So, you know, yeah. could this be a marker for our politics where we can kind of shift away from politicians who do what's politically expedient for them and back into the space of public service? Because if they had listened to the scientific advice, thousands of people would be alive today that aren't. Yeah, I mean, I really hope so. I I think what you say about the COVID inquiry, like what can we get out of it? It's we need the record to show that that approach led to like, we need lessons to be learned for next time. And that's what we can hope to get out of the COVID inquiry. Because if, if the record shows that that approach is what led to those things, because mm -hmm. at the moment, the record doesn't definitively show that. So we need the record to show that. And so that like you know it, it, the recommendations moving forward for future crises like this can yeah hopefully the the government's approach will be different should the individuals not be held accountable themselves though i mean we had a prime minister who used phrases like we mentioned earlier on the you know they've had a good innings let the bodies pile high we've had a we had a health secretary who was breaking his own rules who later had to stand down and they were in charge of the the you know the country's response to a pandemic a, a health crisis Surely there should be some accountability for their failures. I mean, if this was a corporation yeah. and they'd lost lives on their watch, we'd be talking corporate manslaughter. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I don't think those tools are available as far as I'm aware. Um, but yeah, this is what's so... When you live in... When you're, you exist so much in the world of COVID campaigning and um, you realise just how... Um, responsible they are for so much harm it's incredibly frustrating mm -hmm. that individuals can't be hold held more accountable for what what they've done because it's kind of black and white to us that the the way they behaved and the decisions they made caused this um caused so much harm and like you said about not locking down early enough like he literally yesterday said that the evidence was being provided to them in early spring you know kind of february january march 2020 and he just literally couldn't take it on board he, he even admitted that the mm. models were there and it, he just was unable to deal with what was coming over the horizon it was always what was happening on that time and mm. i mean what kind of leader is that like you're you you're the, the primary responsibility and the basic responsibility of our leaders is to um 
you know, protect the lives of the nation. And he fundamentally failed in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it also wasn't just the fact, I mean, look, initially you could, I guess, sort of excuse that we didn't understand the scale of COVID initially. Maybe mm-hmm. you could make that argument. I wouldn't, you know, I would expect our governments to be slightly better informed than the layman, but but yeah. maybe I have a particularly high bar of public service. Who knows? But it wasn't just the initial stages of covid there was eat out to help out there was lockdown two there was lockdown three all of whom which were delayed there was the advices against the the science so the failure wasn't just in the initial stages where he's saying you know they he wished he regrets that um, let me see what he said he vastly underestimated the risk in the early stages of the pandemic but it wasn't just the early stages they got it wrong later on as well i just want to ask you we i mean you know we've got you here as an ambassador for the long COVID society um you guys have launched a campaign uh called hashtag it could happen to you do you want to tell us a little bit more about that campaign yeah sure i just quick correction it's long COVID support but um there's a group of us long COVID groups as well but um yeah it's just a campaign to try and raise awareness of the fact that long COVID is still a problem and I think there's a feeling that because the government has totally failed in its its messaging, um, people aren't aware that when you get COVID, you're playing with the risk of um, like chronic disability. And so, I mean, it is difficult. Like there aren't a huge there aren't a huge amount of things you can do, but getting getting vaccinated, um, clean air, um, you know, masking in in closed environments these are all things that we can do to reduce the risk um of 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 getting long covid and uh, so for our listeners who may want to get involved what what's the ask from them what could they do is it sharing stories is it um how can they get involved yeah so um you go go to the long covid groups website we've we've delivered a uh, we've delivered a, a letter to number 10 and um we there's a petition to sign that letter in support we're asking for research and um research into um treatment because fundamentally we can't fix this problem until we understand the pathology of it and get treatment so sign that petition and also get involved with the charities um there's we are a charity that um uh, we are limited in resources, so donate, um, come and give your time. That would be massively appreciated. And also support us on social media, um, share, sharing our posts and all of those kind of things would also be really helpful. Do you want to shout Just out? Noise, basically. Do you, want to shout, do you want to shout out your handles or some of the things that they could share on social media? Yeah, yeah. Long COVID support, uh, long COVID kids, long COVID SOS. Um, I'm on social media, Una underscore cousins. Um, yeah, all of those things works. Amazing. Well, that's Una Cousins, ambassador for long COVID support uh, and former GB rower. She was at the COVID inquiry today. Una, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going to move on next. We're going to talk about Matt, to Matt Richardson, comedian and host of I Am Prime Minister. Um, he's going to be joining us uh, later on after this. Fubar Radio presents Access All Areas. We have the absolute icon, mm-hmm. legend, Janice Dickinson. I'm here. Do you still enjoy doing reality shows or do you now see it as more of like a part of your job that you like have to do? I do I do really enjoy it. I do I don't enjoy the actuality of, of eating fish eyeballs. <laughs> well, yeah. There's that side to Amazon. Yeah. Or vagina of cow. Yeah. But you do like the but sort of social I, side, do you? Like just the The social know. side was fantastic. Just getting to know people mm. and uh, sleeping with people and eating with people when we didn't really have enough food. This week, we have Natalie Balmain, winner of Channel 4's Make Me a Prime Minister. We do have a serious problem with the standard of our public servants and the behaviour they display both in office and in ministerial office, no? Absolutely. 100. We're an embarrassment. Yeah. You no. know, we're we're a, a nation that once purported to be world leaders. But now with the people we have in charge, we can't even lead ourselves. Well, we are leading the world in terms of idiots and, and clowns. The dating show. Please do. Back in the day when it used to be like fashionable or uh, it was it was the thing to do when you'd go on Facebook. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, I'm like in a relationship. What was the other one? It was um, it's complicated. Do you remember that one? Yeah, it's uh, in a relationship with yeah. or it's, it's complicated. complicated. But then what you used to do, you used to pop up on the feed. So you'd be sitting there. Yeah. Uh, and then your feed, it would be... Um, I don't know, Jess, whoever is now single, so you like that one, or do, 
poke them. Did you poke them? Then you give you them a little poke. Yeah. yeah. Give a little virtual poke. Yeah. Um, just to go, I see you're single now, babe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, oh, Facebook were great, wasn't it? You're listening to Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio presents. So we have got the incredible Sunita. How does Sunita whittle down the people she wants to talk to to the people she doesn't? What's your criteria? Well, you've got to be an adult. Um, okay. That's always a good start. Always a good start. But when I'm in a don't, not just like 18, you've got to be like not young enough to be my child. Um, <laughs> you have to ideally be London-based, because I am. Yeah. Although I don't mind if you've got a country pad, that would be nice. So at the minute we're going with age and location are important. Age and location are good. Every Friday from 6pm. Fubar Radio. Welcome back. This is Ali Milani on Politics Uncensored at Fubar Radio. We've been talking um, with a few guests around the issues of the day. We spoke to Zara Khan, uh, chair of the British Youth Council, uh, around Robert Jenrick's resignation as immigration minister. Uh, we spoke about Sakir Starmer's backlash as a result of him praising Sakir um, Margaret Thatcher. Um, I think the terms he used was um, he praised her for effective, effecting meaningful change in the in the UK, and he's received huge huge amount of backlash on that but primarily we've been talking about boris johnson giving evidence at the covid inquiry um if you've been watching some of the coverage around that or even the inquiry itself you will have seen huge amounts of protests uh, outside um and uh often making its way into the inquiry some of the headlines uh, out of his evidence that he has given is that he has apologized for the pain the loss and the suffering though he was interrupted by protesters during this speech around 5,000 whatsapp messages on boris's phone have magically disappeared um and they range from the 30th of january 2020 to june 2020 they are all missing his solicitors and him can't quite get on the same page they say it's as a result of a factory reset he denies this uh, the former Prime Minister defended his decision not to sack Matt Hancock, uh, the Health Secretary at the time, but he did admit that the COVID decision-making was too male-dominated. He also admitted his vastly underestimating the risk at the early stages of the pandemic, but he did insist that he was working during the February half-term school break uh, in 2020 and he wasn't on holiday. Uh, another element of his inquiry, which we spoke to Unar about, which has caused massive uproar is his remarks as it relates to long covid um he has been forced to apologize for these remarks around long covid uh, after he was found to have called the condition bollocks uh, and like gulf war syndrome the former prime minister said he was trying to get the truth uh, of the matter and says that he regrets very much using that language and that he should have thought about the possibility of future Publications. Uh, we had Una Cousins on Ambassador for Long COVID Support and a former GB rower. Um, she spoke about, you know, having to give up her own career as a result of Long COVID and how these comments, even now from the Prime Minister, um, can be so hurtful. Um, those, you know, the, the inquiry continues and you can certainly keep an eye on it and watch it uh, online. Um, and I think Una Cousins. Uh, spoke about their campaign it hashtag it could happen to you which is the long covid uh support campaign which you can follow uh, on social media so do keep an eye on this story as it continues to develop but we're going to pivot now a little bit um as we talk to our next guest uh he's a comedian he's the host of i am prime minister matt richardson matt thank you very hello. B- hello mate thank you very much for joining us Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm keeping well, man. How are you? Uh, I have no complaints. What's What are the plans as we approach Christmas? I hear you're Prime Minister, so you've got a lot on your plate, man. Well, I'm, I mean, look, yeah, I mean, I think the Prime Minister has got more on his plate than me at the moment. Um, like, like, just quite like, look, it's Christmas party season for us comedians, so lots of gigs to people who don't particularly want to be there, mm-hmm. who have um, drunk a bit too much with their colleagues. Talk to me a little bit about... Uh, the intersection between politics uh, and comedy we uh, you know we like we often like to think that comedy that politics is a very serious business sometimes our politicians are more comedians 
than politicians themselves, but you've clearly chosen to kind of be in the space that includes some politics at least. Uh, why did you make that decision and what's your view on this sort of intersection oh, between politics and that, entertainment? That's a really good question. Um, the reason we did it, because I think less so than it being a comedy thing, I think these days everyone thinks that they would be better at the job than the current or the last few prime ministers. <laughs> so um, I think there's a lot of fun to be had in going, okay, their policies are looking pretty weird anyway. Why don't we just come up with some weirder ones with some famous people? And what are some of the stuff you've come up with? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? Some of it has been um, pretty pretty sensible, actually. Like, some people have some very good ideas. Rosie Jones, for example, um, decided that all men uh, in the UK will be uh, put on the Isle of Wight, uh, <laughs> where they will um, provide sperm as a sperm farm uh, for the women that live in the rest of the country. That was her sort of lead <laughs> policy, which we, as her advisors, thought was a bit of a tricky sell to the country until she said that every man can have a brand new Xbox. There we go. Yeah. So that kind of thing, you know, uh, William Hansen, um, a lot of his policies, uh, obviously, he's the etiquette expert who's on Help I Sexed My Boss. A lot of his stuff was really based around um, politeness and there being needing to be more kindness in society, apart from the fact he wants everyone who talks in the theatre to be tasered publicly. <laughs> We've uh, that was a, that was a major story, wasn't it? Someone, I think not long ago, uh, got caught on camera talking uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren Boebert did right? in America, yeah. didn't That's she? That's the one, she, yeah, and she got, she got kicked out, didn't she? She was more than talking, apparently. I think she was, uh, it was over and under the trouser hands were going on. Oh, right, okay. Beetlejuice the musical. Once again, <laughs> the fact that I'm sat here with you saying a United States congresswoman was found giving, giving essentially um, some uh, hand pleasure in Beetlejuice the musical mm -hmm. just goes to show that no matter what we say on this podcast uh, that we're doing it's never going to be quite as weird it's it's, as it's also not a raving endorsement or review of Beetlejuice the musical is it if it's... i argue it's a very raving endorsement right why like how how sexy is this musical uh, that you just couldn't wait till you got home you can't you can't wait to go home you know you're into the you're into the black and white suits you can't help yourself so look, i want to keep talking about the your podcast i am a prime minister i'm I, I i'm really interested in it look as a, as a sort of po sort of politician and and broadcaster i think um it's always interesting to hear uh people's reactions to our politicians and our the state of our politics because like yeah. you mentioned it's been a bit of a shit show for a little bit uh i mean we had boris johnson oh, we can swear on this fantastic oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes we it can... easier. is that a cat behind you that is a cat behind me. Yeah, that is the. Uh, I am it's obsessed. Not Larry, sadly, uh, they do look similar, but uh, it's uh, my cat there who's uh, amazing. Can't help but be in the room when we're talking about politics. Um, it turns out he loves it. Amazing. Uh, so let's go back on topic. You, he's you, a Lib Dem though, so don't ask him anything. Uh, he's boring. Man, we've lost him. Um, so the uh, what I want to hear is like you know what is the sense that you're getting from the guests that you're getting on the show about what people feel about politics. Uh, uh, have they? Is it so? Basically, is it so in the space of ridicule now that people are given up? Uh, given that yeah. we've had Boris Johnson, who at the best of times is a joke, Theresa May, who was kind of a robot, uh, and everyone in between from List Trust to to Rishi Sunak. Who'd have thought we'd be sat here thinking, God, Theresa May? Those were the days. <laughs> that was a proper politician. You know, like just someone who was like trying to do her best for the country. It doesn't feel like it should be a luxury rather than like the bare minimum, does it? I think a lot of these guests, um, look, I think a lot of it, look, it's, it's a comedy podcast more than it is a politics podcast, I would say. So mm -hmm. it's a comedy podcast vaguely about politics rather than the other way around. And, um, but I think, look, a lot of the sense of it is, is we've talked a lot to the guests about if they're not sure about what their policies would be, we delve into their lives a bit. So, for example, like education, we'll talk about education with them and we will um, you know, work out what worked for them at school, what they thought was good. If they've got kids, what they think works and doesn't to come up with something ultimately silly. But you do get a real sense of their upbringing. Like um, Rosie Jones was a perfect example, you know, the comedian who uh, just turn your telly on. You know, who she mm -hmm. is. Um, she basically spoke a lot about how brilliant a lot of the Disability Act was for her when she was growing up in school and how that just changed everything for so many kids. And you get a real sense that, you know, I think it doesn't help that, look, we're in I in the entertainment industry. We're all champagne socialists, pretty mm -hmm. much, apart from the few that fake it to be on GB News. <laughs> if you're listening, Mark Dolan, hello. <laughs> and um, basically, like, I think 
you get a sense that you know people have had like not not particularly easy lives and a lot of policy has helped them and they're aware of it and i think that's a really unusual thing mm-hmm. i think people um pe- people assume especially like i guess conservative politicians people don't realize when government gets involved in things and makes it better but i know lots of people and we've talked to lots of people on this podcast who genuinely go the government did X when I was younger and that made my life better because we could eat or, you know, the child tax benefits or anything like that really helped my family. And I find that really interesting that people are so aware of those things that have helped them along. Yeah, I also think like one of the one of the benefits of, of, of comedians, uh, I've spoken on this show a lot about how I think we really have a class of politicians that amongst other things are really poor communicators. They just can't get their points across right. to people. And um, so people are turning to, poly- to to some comedians who are able sometimes. I mean, you, you do say it's true. The entertainment business is probably leans liberal. Uh, I think that's yeah. the case here. It's the case in America. But a lot of that is because, you know, they don't often come from liberal backgrounds. Right. They, they have enjoyed some of what the welfare state provides. You are now you get a platform to like yourself. You get huge social media following, huge following on TV and other things. And through your comedy, whether it's intentional or not, we hear the story of Matt, the person, and how you got onto that stage and yeah. all the things you enjoyed. So that's huge, right? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like, even me, you know, I, my, my grandparents were publicans uh, on one side. My other side, one worked in a, um, one worked in a power station and uh, my nan was too ill to work. She was uh, paranoid schizophrenic. So she was like being sectioned all the time. And yet a system has existed where like my parents could do well enough that I can be in a point where I'm like, I'm going to tell jokes about my penis for a living. And that (laughs) is fine. Like I've not had to struggle at any point because the systems have been in place. And I grew up in the night. Like I was born in the early nineties. Like, you know, I grew up in a Blair labor. Things were good, man. When in the nineties, like school was great. Like education, education, education. I benefited hugely from that all my friends were from like backgrounds that are fa- like i'm from a lower middle class town uh didcot in oxfordshire and like all my friends were from pretty modest backgrounds and everyone has gone on to do amazing things because mm. they were given those opportunities and it was put in front of them yeah so i mean you spoke a little bit around um i want to get back to the podcast a little bit about some of the most outrageous yeah. manifesto points uh do you have any more for us for our, for oh our my listeners. goodness! Um, yeah, you know, and what? then some the, of yours um, as well. What you'd like to see, but let's start with what you, what some guests so have told the, you. The thing is, and I would say, what has been quite worrying is every guest has sort of gone mad with power. <laughs> right. Um, everyone we've had on has gone. Okay. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is there's no more elections because I want to be like this forever. Yeah. And I thought, and you laugh at that, and then you go, "That's 2024 America, isn't it? Yeah. That's what's going to happen over there." So maybe we shouldn't let people in, enter- in entertainment. <laughs> be president unless yeah. it's ukraine he's done quite a good job actually but um we've had some mad ones so like uh zoe Lyons, the comedian has decided that um everyone over 60 has to do crossfit um, <laughs> right she's a crossfit addict um, and i'm 30 and i couldn't do crossfit let alone in my 60s man crossfit is a cult yeah let's yeah. just stop it's not a fitness phase she's just getting everyone to join her cult yeah but um, also it becomes everything about their personality their personality becomes oh crossfit God, it's, and it's just unacceptable people look she talked about CrossFit a lot on the podcast. We're going yeah. to trim that out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they love it, don't they? Like, oh, it's, yeah, I've it's got, weird. CrossFit. Mate, it's I've, CrossFit and air fryers. They're the two ends of the same spectrum. I I've, think. I've got a mate who just, um, like, for the longest time, he, he, he didn't give a damn about, like, working out and that kind of thing. And then he got into CrossFit. And now that's all he fucking talks about. Like, yeah, I don't care the, about I don't care about CrossFit. Stop talking like, to me. I'm a little, I'm, I'm a rough, we're, you're 30, right? Yeah. Almost I'm 32, we're yeah. the same age, roughly. Mm-hmm. It, it gets worse. The next two years of your life is marathons and babies. <laughs> yeah. And the marathon people are far worse than the baby people. Oh, is that the baby yeah. people right. have realized and will be willing to admit they've made a mistake? <laughs> the marathon people, not so much. Right. CrossFit, what so else have you had? That, you know, we've had, oh gosh, we had someone who came on and um, uh, admitted, uh, like, decided that we we're going to have uh, nuns teaching all the schools because they had a very good experience in a Catholic school. Right. Uh, well, they didn't have a great experience, but the nuns were very stern and sorted out all mm-hmm. the problems. Um, we've had Jack Skipper. Do you know the TikToker and comedian Jack Skipper? He's I think very I've big on, stuff, online, yeah. uh, like a geezer. He came on and all of his policy, he wasn't interested in politics. So a lot of his policy was about how to get people interested in politics. Like his party, I think he called it the what you're talking about party because he never knows what they're talking about. And a lot of his policy was stuff that I don't think is a terrible idea, making um, it easier to understand what they're talking about in parliament. 
mm-hmm. things like that. He said that, you know, he would outlaw all the referring to the speaker and my honourable friend and all that, because he says that makes him feel very disconnected from it, which actually yeah. is not a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah, it's this ludicrous. I remember, you know, when I ran for parliament, um, they yeah. used to they used to tell you a bunch of stuff about like how it works, right? So you're not allowed to clap in parliament. You're, you have to wear a tie in parliament. Um, you're not allowed to dress the other person. You have to go through the speaker, for example, Madness. to speak. It's crazy. It's literally so outdated. Um, and like if, if you're, and this is the thing that a lot of people in politics don't understand. Um, and I really hope they're listening to what you're saying because you're coming mm. out from it from, an out, from the outside is most people don't care about politics right in the country they're too busy doing their own stuff right taking the kids to school getting dinner ready doing their work stuff and whatever right to care about politics if they switch on parliament on tv and these guys are acting in a way that is outside the bounds of what normal human interaction is like they're just going to change the channel right it's it's designed to make you not interested i think Mm -hmm. on purpose like, they don't want people looking at what they're doing. They don't want people watching BBC Parliament when there's nine of them having a debate over something that will affect everyone's lives, you know? And I think language and making it accessible is a big part of that. As soon as you see them dressed up, you know, for this state opening of Parliament, you go, what a load of fucking bullshit this is. Like, mm-hmm. then you don't care. And then they can get away with doing more things because you're not watching. I think that is a big issue in our politics. And I had a big argument. So my... We have a guy on the podcast called Lauren Belcross, who was a spad and uh, now works in news, right? So he's Mm -hmm. a news producer and he's come on as our like political expert and he knows loads. And we really disagree on this, that I think politics should be leveled when it comes to language and a lot of the tradition, whereas he thinks the tradition is what makes a lot of it great. Yeah. But I think there is a happy medium, surely where we it's the people's house surely yeah. the house of commons that's yet it isn't is it in any way like yeah. there are people who are born into families and the world where you are bred that you're comfortable with that and all of us uh, who aren't it's it's the opposite and they have a go at anyone like angela rayner mm-hmm. when she is sort of slightly more normal in parliament she gets reprimanded yeah yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's Matt, madness. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you in on a on a on a secret that I've never shared before. Ooh, but we God, actually sorry. spoke about it when I was running. That if I was to have won, me and the team kind of spoke about let's just break every single rule that they have yeah. and see how many times they're going to kick me out of Parliament. And that is the best way that we thought to kind of highlight just how inaccessible it is, just how ludicrous. Like, why can't you clap? Yeah. Like, how is like. What do they do? They just like tap things and they, hey, hey. Like, how is that better than clapping? It's madness. Right. You know what? It's one of those things as well. If you'd have gone in and broken all those silly rules, taken your tie off, whatever else it might have been, mm. you would be reprimanded more than anyone in a government. Like, for example, look at the COVID inquiry at the moment. That's going to lead nowhere. People who do the silly things in parliament genuinely mm. get punished. It's so let me, So let me get you on that. Look, if there are any politicians, and I know some of them listen to the show, um, who are struggling to communicate with people in the country, normal people, give them some advice. What can they do? I think they should do a stand-up course. I Mm. genuinely think uh, there are loads of great stand-up courses in the country. There's a brilliant one in Brighton run by a woman called Jill Edwards. Stand-up is great because you have to get your point across within 30 seconds or they're not interested. You need to get that first laugh within a minute. So you need to get to the laugh as quickly as humanly possible. And I think a lot of politicians would benefit from a lesson in editing, which is what comedy is. Because if it's not funny and it's not needed, you naturally just start to slice down your set and get rid of all the guff. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of politicians would benefit from that. The reason I think Nigel Farage has done so well, he's funny and he can communicate. That's yeah. basically it. He's mm-hmm. a funny, quite affable guy. He's, you know, just got some really extreme views. Yeah. And if a Labour politician I saw it, by the way, Blair, I, saw, I think was probably I saw, the last one. Go on, I saw him ahead. shirtless and I'm a celebrity and I can never unsee that now. I, Mate, I as I watched it I thought I never in my life thought I was going to see this man without a shirt on. But I but did. But the thing is like for a lot of the country they'll go oh fair play he did it. Yeah. He, he got stuck in. And like he 
you know, like Lauren, once again, uh, Mike, the guy who does the show with me, he works in news and he says they always like Nigel coming on because he's fun. And yeah. He's a fun guy to be around. Yeah. And, and he speaks like, can... and like, OK, there's there's probably not one thing that me and Nigel agree on, but he talks like a regular person. Right. Even though he isn't. Yeah. He, even though he is a genius. Yeah. And, you know, he'll, he'll be in interviews and he'll talk about his life and they go, well, aren't you? You know, you, you can't. You were a banker. And he goes, that's not fair. I work very hard from 10 a.m. to lunchtime. Yeah. And we'll just drop in a little joke and like. Yeah. More politicians need to be doing that. I, th- I, I think it's, think I think, look, I think it's, by bad. the way, I think it's really interesting and it's definitely a point to take away that people are willing to forgive the occasional gaffe from a politician if they think you're speaking true to the heart and you're speaking directly totally. to them. Like, you can fuck up every here, here and there. Look at Boris, like, that guy. Oh my God, absolutely. He drops himself in it every other day, but people kind of like him because he's kind of entertaining, uh, he's kind of funny. And he kind of talks to you at that at a normal level rather than yeah, even you know what I think I think the road is running out for him now. But even Joe Biden, like you know Joe Biden's whole thing of like you know I'm I'm the gaff guy. People yeah. like that. That yeah. kid, that buys you a lot of mileage with people. And I do think there needs to be a little bit more of that in politics. I think a lot of politicians would benefit from. I'm trying my hardest, but we didn't get it right. Yeah, right. I'm Matt, really sorry, Matt. I've I really enjoyed having you on. I definitely want to bring you back. But w- lastly, before I let you go, um, you're podcast brand new podcast i am a prime minister i hope everybody subscribes listens tunes into it and follows you on all the social channels as well um you are prime minister you've got one major policy give it to me my one major policy as prime minister yeah i would legally uh i would legally make everyone have a cat just because love it it's made me a much more mellow person it's made i think we just need to chill out a bit and people need a nice thing to do we'll subsidize all the stuff and I think people will learn empathy and also consent because you've got to touch cats when they want to be touched. Yeah, like, and um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. I got my own cat shout out, Wonder, who's not listening uh, back at home. Um, oh, when even you... if she could, she wouldn't. That's the beauty of cats. Yeah, and I'm really glad that we avoided with your one policy, including Beetlejuice the musical i'm, I'm oh I'm happy yeah that yeah we, no that we, is you, look that's optional you can we, you can you can do as many hand jobs in musicals as you we, like as long as you don't sing along as long as you don't sing along that's matt richardson comedian and host of i am a prime minister matt thanks you so much for joining thanks. us uh do go and follow uh matt uh, on socials and subscribe to his podcast i am a prime minister uh it is brilliant um and it's if nothing else really funny and entertaining um and is an intersection with politics so we come to my favorite part of the show as we approach our Christmas break. First of all, um, this is sort of um, the last show that we're going to do in this format before the new year. Um, over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to look at uh, some of my favorite guests over the last year um, and revisit some of the really interesting points um, that we have unpicked on this show. So please make sure you listen. That It's going to be amazing largely because you're getting the very, very best bits of the show over the coming weeks um, but we're going to come to word on the streets and this is the segment where our political reporter O'Shane Beach headed onto the streets of central London today uh, and asks people a question and the question this week was the deputy prime minister has told Britons to stock up on torches and candles in case of future power cuts what's one thing you would stockpile in on in the event of a national crisis the pandemic taught me to stockpile on toilet paper, so I would probably do that. Probably just like sweets or skittles. Oh, I love pasta. I would drink pasta, pasta. <laughs> oxtail. I'm going to talk, I must have got a mad oxtail. I know it goes bad, but you know what I'm saying? Oxtail and rice. And maybe like slippers. Oh, absolutely. Jammy dodgers. Well, they're so difficult to get already, so... Butt wet wipes. Tea bags. Toilet roll or <laughs> milk. I would go for Yorkshire puddings. Definitely money. Cheese, onion, crisp, beefy crisp and wine. Definitely chocolate. Got to be chocolate. <laughs> Essentials like yeah. curry paste, curry powders and things like that. Uh, toilet rolls and canned food. Water and beer. It's, <laughs> it's essential. Matches would be a really good thing. Chicken, prosecco and popcorn. Night socks. I would actually buy lots of toilet paper and probably start <laughs> selling it to my neighbours as well. <laughs> That, that toilet paper one is definitely a COVID baby generation. Uh, did I hear butt wet wipes? I'm looking for some nods. Are there wet wipes that are specifically for your butt? Oh, baby wet... Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm now speaking to, directly to my producers. It's for everyone, but apparently there are specific butt wet wipes. There you go. Every day is a school day. I also really enjoyed the most Italian man I've ever heard say pasta, 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 which... Um, and I don't like to stereotype, but he definitely walked into that one. 
Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this show today. It's been brilliant. Um, thank you to all of my guests, uh, including Zara Khan from the chair of the, the chair of the British Youth Council, Una Cousins uh, from the Long COVID Support, and Matt Richardson, comedian and host of I Am a Pro- Prime Minister podcast. Do listen, go follow all of them on their respective channels. Uh, Go back and listen to all of our previous shows. You can catch them at foobarradio.com and on all good podcasting platforms, Politics Uncensored. Give us a search. Give us a like. Leave us a review. Uh, Go back and listen to the amazing podcasts. Everyone from John McDonnell and Jeremy Corbyn to Lord Heseltine we've had on to the ambassador, the former ambassador to America of Israel um, and comedians like Matt Richardson who've uh, who've joined us along the way as well go and listen to all those amazing episodes next week you're going to get some of the best bits of the show you can follow us on at FUBAR Radio and at Politics Uncensored on Instagram on Twitter and on TikTok I am Ali Milani at Ali Milani UK see you all the other side of the new year salams <laughs>